You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. I'm excited to be here today. I had a, today's message is something that's been on me, and, and, and it's, it's kind of a continuous thing of what I've been kind of preaching on. I've been talking a lot about identity and, and how we live a supernatural life. You know, Jesus was 100% God, 100% human. We're actually 100% human and 100% spiritual. And so we need to be living in a life like that. And so the first thing I think we must understand is that God really loves the process in our life. And that's an important part of this. We think, get so worried about he th- that when we stumble, that's not what God worries about. He's concerned that we're in process with him. So let me ask you this. Who here has ever taught or been in a room when a little baby was learning how to walk? Okay. So how do you do it? You, I, I know how you guys do it. You get down on your knees. You got your arms out. Your eyes are all big. And then you look at that little chubby looking thing and you go, come on, come on. And then the baby just turns, holds onto the couch, plops down and crawls over to you. <laughs> then how do you react? You just pick up that baby, and you swing around, and you kiss on him, and then, then what do you do? You put him right back, and you start it all over again. You know? So, see, that's, you know, what, what's, it, that's, you know, one thing that Graham Cook always talks about, what, what's true in the natural is true in the spirit world. It's really true. And so, th- this came up in one of our leadership meetings. How many of you have ever given your kids money at Christmas so they could run and buy you a gift? Now, why is I'm bringing this up? This is what God does all the time. He loves to give you gifts that you return to him. Our worship is so much like this. Do you constantly feel that back and forth all the time? We're worshiping in a God, but then God's sending something to us, and then we're this love, and then we just turn right around and send it right back up to Him. It's just like that. It's what He gives you in a, as a gift, he, He's ready to return to you. For, you know, from Him, through Him, and in Him all the time. When God gives you a command in your life, remember this it's to give you everything He's commanding you. So we don't hesitate at commands. We're excited about commands because that is a, oh, that's, that's when him saying, I'm going to give you everything in your life. So let's just pray after we thought about that. So if anyone here has stumbled, anyone here is thinking this, let's get it out of our mind right now. Father, we're going to just thank you that you continually draw us close to you and draw us nearer to you. And you draw us into a Christ-likeness. Oh, we're not just like you. We know that. But in our spiritual disciplines, you draw us closer and closer to you. You draw us into change. You transform. You transform our minds, our hearts. And you're just constantly excited to watch us take those steps. We thank you, Jesus, for this. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Now, how many people felt Jesus picked you up right now and put a big raspberry on your belly? Just, see, just like the. 
our identity in the kingdom is actually made up of two things. And now we've gone along a number of steps. The two things are how we're known on heaven and how we're known on earth. Our personas in heaven and earth. When we talked a lot about identity, but you hear this general identity. Then you hear about an identity for those in Christ. We're going to talk a little bit now about very specific identity for you and me. That how God relates our personal, individual identities to us. So in other words, who do people say I am? And that's important. Because tell me my identity as I am. As you see me. is such an important part of this. Do you understand? Uh, we live based on identity. How, it's how you live with God. It's how you live with yourself. It's how others live with you. Is based on your identity. So I want to go back to this. When Jesus was asking the apostles about his identity, it's in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 15. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Do you hear what happened? He had four dis distorted views of who Christ was. Jesus knew this was vital. This was a turning point, actually. Because until these distortions are eliminated, and until we know who Christ is, we can't know who we are. And so, you know, that really had to be painful for him to hear John the Baptist. They lived simultaneously. And John the Baptist had just died a few months ago. And he's, now they're talking about, that, that's, to me, that, that's an odd one. So really there's two battles that are going on here. The battle to get free and the battle to stay free. There's a battle to take ground and there's a battle to hold ground. And so this is so tied to our identities. So the question is, do we abide in the nature of God? And so whatever freedoms God reveals to us has got to be our lifestyle or we're losing ground. Jesus knew this was a turning point because if you don't know who he is, how can you understand the lifestyle of Christ? How can you move forward in your own personal identity because your own identity is so tied to Christ? So if, if and you know, really, we have multiple identities, but one persona. I have an identity as a husband, as a friend, as a brother. I can have all those at the same table at one time, and constantly they're changing. And just in, in the same thing in the kingdom. I have an identity as a teacher, sometimes up here as a preacher, sometimes, very rarely, but a counselor, evangelist. We have all kinds, of, and we're constantly moving in this. So our calling is never one-dimensional, and it's never in isolation. It's always in community. And so, our, but remember, our calling is never something you can do. It is always impossible. It is always improbable, and it's always unreasonable. Otherwise, it's a vocation. 
And that's what, if we don't have a good, strong identity in Christ, our callings can never be met because all we'll see is the improbable, impossible, and we'll see the unreasonable. I hate to say this, but not one of us are wired for our calling. Just not. It's always outside of what we really are. It always takes something more. So God wants to show you how you're known in heaven. How does heaven see you? How do they talk about you? But first thing, though, is he has to reveal the Godhead. So you know God. And, and we talked about the general. Those are, those are believers. But he specifically wants you to know the Godhead. You have to really pay attention to what he says. Now, we have the prophetic word. And the prophetic word is so vitally important. When someone has a prophecy on you, and it, you don't turn that away, and you go back to that over and over, even when times feel bad. But what we miss so many times is how clear his own word gives us specific and individual insights into the very identity of God. So let's start with the Father. Uh, let's look at when God wanted to reveal himself to Moses. You all remember that. We all remember the story of Moses going up the mountain. There's smoke, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's shaking. There's all this stuff going on. And Moses says, I want to see the glory of God. So how does Moses react to that? Let's, let's read it from Exodus 34, 5 through 7. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives inequity, forgives transgression, forgives sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the inequity of the fathers of the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That was pretty personal. That's, God has just revealed to Moses something very deep. I Remember when he said, show me your glory? How did God respond? Does anyone remember? I'll show you my goodness. See, I think Moses had a distorted view of God. I think he saw thunder and lightning and, and thought that the, the, that the glory of God was rooted in his power and God said, I'm going to show you the root of my glory is in my goodness. And then he describes himself. That sounds like a description of Jesus. We don't describe the Father that way. The Father is the Father. You know. <laughs> You've got to resonate with that one. <laughs> so, but, but you know what? There were very specific details of the Father that were that touch me very differently than they do you. How many of you looked at one or two of those phrases and thought, wow, the Father is this way? I'm going to give you one that was less important to me. Slow to anger. To you, that might have been really important. I never thought that the Father was really angry. I thought he was indifferent. So the compassion, the loving kindness... It goes on, it says, who keeps loving kindness? That was a very different perception of who I had for the Father. Others of you think of, of 
the father being the judgmental. So the slow to anger and forgiving was really, really big for you. See how each of us perceive who? Because we need to know the father intimately. So this is specific for you. Now you know why I love the gospel so much. It's, it really just touches everything. I look at something here that's so specific. I'm looking at how infinite and his, his goodness tells me I'm challenged by the goodness of God. I'm not challenged by enemies or wicked people or people that are opposing me. I'm really challenged by the goodness of God. I'm challenged to rise up a goodness in me that indwells me that defeats evil with good. I'm, I'm trying to meet potential enemies and situations and things like that with compassion, graciousness, and loving kindness. I see the Father very, very different. I see how that relates to me of I don't have enemies. I have a lack of goodness in me to defeat evil. Jesus used Scripture to, to identify himself. You know, Jesus was prophesied, so he takes his own prophecy to declare who he is to the people. And then to, it's recorded so it declares to us. I'm not going to go to the New Testament. I wanted to go to actual Isaiah 61. Now, most people remember when he was out in the desert, then he comes out of the desert, and he goes to Nazareth, he goes into the temple, and, he, and he's asked to read. Now, the tradition would be, you would read wherever they left off and pick it up and read. But it says he searched for his own. And so here's what he comes with. It's a little bit longer, but golly, when you read this, it'll knock you over. When you pause to read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To what? To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them garland instead of ashes keep an eye on this instead of Jesus is coming in to do more than forgive us for our sins he's coming to restore us we're, we're not just forgiven sinners anymore. He's restoring us. Listen to all those instead. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. Mantle of praise instead of spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your wine pressers. But you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nation, and in their rich, riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have double portion. Instead of a humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land, everlasting joy of theirs. Jesus is the ultimate change agent. When you say, I've got a calling on you, when you say improbable, Jesus says, instead, it's probable. 
When you say it's impossible, Jesus says instead it's possible. When you say it can't be done, Jesus says it is done. And so our callings now have in it the very character of Jesus Christ. And that understanding of who he is in us as we live in Christ and develop our Christ-likeness is so important to us because now we know that he's taking all the negatives of the world and turning them around. He's building and not destroying. He is lifting everything up and he's making us builders with him. That's an identity that you can't shake. That's an identity that's very personal to every one of us. You, if you can't find one thing in your life that doesn't identify here, I'm shocked. If someone has a sense of shame, and Jesus said, instead of shame. If someone has a feeling of sadness, instead of sadness. If someone has a feeling of, I can't do it, he says, we're building it. And so that's the identity that Jesus is putting into you of him. This is fundamental and important. This is how we become different people in Christ. We don't know who we are. I'm not even talking about who we are. I'm just talking about who Jesus is. Until we understand this, we'll never ever walk in it. So then, you know, he just told the world how he, how he is seen in heaven. He is on earth. He's walked into a temple and goes, that's how they all look at me in heaven. He says every angel speaks this. The Father speaks this. Every angelic being speaks this. This is who I am in heaven. That's pretty fundamental. When, when God told that to Moses, he's saying, that's what the gang up there says I am. That's how they see me. They see me as, as, as compassionate and loving. And so we have an identity in heaven how they all talk about us too. You know, we've, been, we've become citizens of, of heaven on earth. But there's no frustration in heaven, is there? Why are we frustrated? I, I, and it, yeah, probably, I know in my case, it's a lack of patience. You know, is it possible that the fruit of the Spirit is more powerful than the gifts? That if I can move through and I can expect to defeat the enemy with the grace of the Lord, with my love, with my joy, I can command peace. That I have so much more that is of heaven that I can have here on earth. That maybe the fruits of the Spirit are even more powerful than the gifts. The gifts are tools. The Spirit's are the result. The, the fruit of the Spirit are the result. How many have ever... Brian here. How many have a whole lot of toy of tools in their garage? And if I stop at your house and I see all these tools and go, show me something you built. See, sometimes we need to start looking at the power of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sorry, I got a little off track there. The other thing about this is when we start to identify with who Christ is and who the Father is, at least in my case, I get overwhelmed by wonderment, majesty, sovereignty. It's immenseness of who God is. Just inhaling who he is in his character. Just God. That's just it. 
Do you understand then from there your, your authority is just a byproduct? Once you've received God and, and, and take a piece of that majesty and bring it into yourself, when you start to speak with authority, you're speaking because you know it's an experience. The knowledge of the Bible is experience. What he's saying is experience my word. Experience what I'm telling you. He doesn't just idly speak. We forget. We're reading pages. These are words that are spoken. And that's why he speaks them out. You know, that we have the third member of the Godhead. And Jesus introduces him. I want you to take a second and let's look at John 16. And I used verses 5 through 15. There's a lot more description of the Holy Spirit, but this is the one that I just wanted to use. And he says, but now I'm going to go, I'm sorry, now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. See, I don't have to help him with that. And righteousness. And he will convict them of judgment. I don't need to help with that either. Got the Holy Spirit for that. Concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment. Because the rule of the world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you. But you cannot bear to hear them now. But, but when he, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for me, and for me will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Just picture this now for a second. Everything that the Father has has been passed to Jesus. Jesus is introducing us to the Holy Spirit by saying, and then all of that is passed to him. Jesus says, I'm going away. Jesus is saying, I'm going to reign and rule from heaven over the church. But the Holy Spirit's going to reign and rule in the church. And everything that heaven has, he has. And he's going to give it to you. I better figure out who this guy is. This is pretty important. Have you, how many of us really look at the Holy Spirit that way? That it's, all of, it's, it's a three-story building that's all being passed on to you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The triune God is now coming to you and passing everything to you. So when we talk of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, that he is the one that's doing the judging. He's the one doing the convicting. That's not our job. What's our job? Show the absolute love and grace of Jesus. And let them be convicted by the Holy Spirit. We have to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold it. What power does he have? Everything of the Father, the Son, is now passed through to him. 
And he's the one that's going to indwell in me. In me is everything that is the Father and the Son. What else does this tell me? The Holy Spirit is continually speaking because Jesus hasn't told us everything. Because it says you weren't ready to bear it. So I've got to pay attention because there's a whole lot more that the Holy Spirit has to tell me. So this Holy Spirit guy is really the pivot of my whole understanding of the entire Godhead because he takes, his, takes God's word and gives it life and says, this is what the Father is saying, this is what the Son is saying, and let me help interpret it so you can understand what's going on. He makes it all personal. Because why? He's in me personally. And so, with that knowledge, I've got to have a personal relationship now with a God that loves me. A God that's compassionate. A God that's going to take everything and change it. Instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of. That's why we love the phrase, but God. And that is all now part of who I am. And so, when you really slow down and read sometimes some of those gospel verses, they're just amazing. I just, people go, why do you love teaching the gospel so much? Don't you? God speaks and we get to listen? And I get to slow down and say, what was that again? What was that again? I can say that five times and he doesn't get impatient. He just keeps adding another nuance, another way, and lets me see something that I didn't see the first time. And then he says, do you see how this fits in with you? Do you see how that's going to save your marriage? Now, let's move now to how does heaven see us personally? It's in those same words. I mean, oh gosh, it's so, it, it's, it's so cool when you really kind of get into this stuff. It's because we desperately, we desperately need to know how we're thought of and heard of in heaven. We need to hear this because I've got one person daily that will say something good to me. The rest of it probably is going to be sideways, maybe negative, maybe because I, I have this thing they call a job. I don't know if any of you ever heard of this thing. <laughs> but it can get stressful at, at times. And not always is it, is it complimentary. So, but we need to, if I know who I am, so what? I can say, you know what, you say this, but you know what? Gabriel and Michael were just talking about me. <laughs> and here's what they say. You know why? That's why, the, that's why the enemy fights so hard against the prophetic. Because the prophetic word is so powerful. The prophetic word is, it can involve the future, but the prophetic word is when God's heart is opened up to someone, and then that person digests it and really listens to God, and then lets it flow out to you. Wow, that's powerful and life-giving. Do you know... I was a chain-smoking drunk, and this lady I was just married to said, you know, someday I think you might be a pastor. <laughs> See, your reaction was the same as mine. I thought that was hysterical. And then she goes, what about being a missionary? 
What did I say, honey? <laughs> I said, I, if you couldn't hear, I, she, she was saying, listen, how about Africa? And I said, I go, no, no I'll, I'll be a missionary as long as the mission field's Hawaii. <laughs> powerful, powerful words that can, can be put on you, and they're, they're being blocked. But they're also... God loves to use Scripture. He loves to use Scripture. So many times we read Scripture like literature. It's, it's a book about love that's so profound that the only way he knows how to describe it is marriage. From beginning to end. It is all about this. And it's incredible. How many people here have ever had a passage of the Bible just go bam? All right. Those are your identity words. Those are specifically laid out for you. That's why they go, bam. They are, these, are, these are identity passages that you really, when that happens to you, jot it down or, or make a note or do something so you know to go back to it. These are so personal. This is God's way of saying, that's you. You see them all through the Psalms. You see them through the Gospels. You see them through all over the place. Because, see, there's power in that passage for you. You know, there are names in that that are, they're, he's calling your name in those passages. He's giving you experiences. He's giving you permissions. He's giving you power in those passages. He's saying, this is where I'm taking you. And so, sometimes you have to really, really pay attention to him. I'm just going to give you my personal example. Ephesians knocked me down. The first three chapters of Ephesians. You can't have them now. Never mind. But... I couldn't get away from them. You know, I, I say this and you say, oh, that's nice. I went to Rick. I said, Rick, every teenager needs to have someone teach them Ephesians, especially the first three chapters. They've got to hear this. This is the most overwhelming thing I've ever seen. Rick's like, well, we've all read that. No, you haven't. It's like nothing else in the world. And I mean, I was crazy. And I couldn't. Sunday, Take my little thing. Hear the football game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And God kept saying, like, you know, oh, look at Ephesians, look at Ephesians. I found myself not watching a football game reading Ephesians. You don't, you don't know me. That, that's a miracle. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, I'm trying to do the Moses thing, you know. You know, turn your back for a little while, and, you know, and I'm telling when I watch a ball game. And, but, but no. But then there, there are so many other passages that do that to me. And they're just so, I'm like, wow. What? We need to have those passages. That's God saying, that's how we talk about you. How many, you know, and of course, he doesn't give me the easy one. You know, sometimes, you know, you say, well, certain psalms are a big one because they have those identity type passages. And he'll have certain psalms just for you. So he gave me Psalm 119. It's about 100 some, what, 150 verses or something. And I mean, you guess go page. But still, read those slowly and put your name on them. I mean, Paul's letters are to people. Look at who he addresses them to. To believers. Those in Christ. So already, he's inviting you to read this letter to you. Now, we have to put it in context of the circumstances of that day, but don't miss that part. But 
golly, he writes so many times that you just look at that and go, he wrote that to me. He was looking. They're very personal. He also tells you things. I'll tell you what he told me. He said, if you, you've got to see who you are because what's about to happen to you will smash you. If you really don't see it. And then when I, there was, there was a specific, specific verse that made me know I had a calling to become, go into ministry. How stupid is that? You're 62 years old. Who starts that process at that age? And I had a lot of people tell me, are you out of your mind? Pastors told me that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. I mean, shortly after this calling came on me, Rick and I go to Columbus, Ohio to an international convention type thing with Vineyard. It was, had people from all over the world there and all the people from Puerto Rico telling stories about Rick. And so, but every pastor goes, why would you wait till you're 60 to think about that? No one wants an assistant pastor. They want a youth leader. And I'm like, I guess so. And I was really frustrated by it. But then School of Kingdom Ministries, I... And I, I, I talked to, I didn't know who this guy was. And I thought, what a goofy name. His name's Putty. And, and he was there, and he had his booth with School of Kingdom Ministry. It's still pretty new then. And I said, well, how's this thing work? And he said, I don't know how it works. And so I go to Rick, hey, what do you think about this? Well, then Tony, Tony Portel from the West Side says, hey, we're going to be doing that. Go, oh, I'll, I'll go to your church then. Rick goes, hang on here. You know, and, and so he, that's, that's what was the germ of School of Kingdom Ministry here from that convention and it was in that I need some training on this stuff yeah that's I'm, I'm gonna be and actually Putty said that's a cool idea that someone of your age because you could really help a young pastor he was the only one in that whole place so so that that's really how that that opened my eyes to see a pathway for my calling because I started to believe that hey this is really what God had in mind you know what really convinced me as I told Rick you can have school of kingdom ministry any day of the week. I can make an, I can work out the schedule, except Thursday. Don't do it on Thursday. As long as it's not Thursday, we're good. And so, kingdom ministry comes around. We got the whole schedule. When's it going to be, Rick? Oh, Thursday. <laughs> and I thought uh, another. This is another place where this is being blocked. Castleton had it on Tuesday. That was my day off. So, and they, they did simultaneously. So that's the reason I went to Castleton for School of Kingdom Ministry. I didn't have it here. But, and now I, and so then I hear about Vineyard Institute. Hey, Rick, what about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to try Oh, you are? And, and so, and I, actually, I had to call Columbus to find out more about it, and, which is where uh, Rich Nathan's uh, church is. So, but yeah, there was so much stuff that all happened because identity. I would have quit if I had no identity. And I give all my identity in the power of Christ. You each have these in you. Margaret's got a, she, she, she has a calling on her because her identity is secure in Christ. You couldn't shake Margaret right now. She knows she has a calling on her. You couldn't shake Ada. 91 and 10 and 11 month old people. <laughs> I, 
Iron's supposed to be having callings on them. We have multiple callings with multiple areas. So this is this book, the Bible, is pretty exciting. I think we need to spend a little more time in it. I think it's a book of encounters and permissions. I talk about that a lot, but resources. It has dimensions of your life that are just so crazy that they, they fit like a glove. And some of them don't seem to fit at all. And God said, I'm transforming you already. That's you in about five years. But he didn't tell you the date. And then five years later, you go, oh, that's why that's, that message stood out to me. Or 10, minutes, 10 years later, or in some cases, 20 years later. One last thing. I, I want you to really understand. We don't have a couple minutes. God deliberately put these in your hand. There's, a, there's an intentionality of God. You're not stumbling on something. Something's been put into your hand by Christ. And he wants you to really, really know it. He wants you to know who you are in him. Do you, now that you have a dimension of him and his wonderment and all that God is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then he says this on you. Oh, my goodness, it captures you. It's like a big old tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. Anyway. It's still, it's, it, it's really, really changing. Let's, let's go back to Matthew 16. Let's, remember, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What's Peter say? Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers him, blessed are you, Simon Bajorna. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. What just happened there? He gave him a new name. What's naming something mean? Remember the authority issue? He just made him his. He has just declared, Peter belongs to me. And he's, he's in my, under my authority. Upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. I think Peter just got an identity statement from Jesus. That was pretty powerful. God's word is powerful. And right now, you know what's going on? Eleven other apostles are going, gosh, why didn't I know that? <laughs> he, he's, he just gave him a mega dose. Now, remember I talked about the process in the beginning? Peter's going to stumble big time. He's not just going to flop on the floor. He's going to go down this flight of stairs. But because of this, when Jesus goes to restore him, he can be restored. Because the words of Christ are laying on his heart. And he knows that's his destiny. He knows that his destiny is tied to Christ completely. So when Christ restores him and asks him if he loves me, and he's reminding him, yes, I love you, that he's restored for the mission that Jesus gave him. He's not crushed by his failure but he becomes a kingpin in the kingdom of heaven and becomes a founder of the, of the church. And then first, 
with, with uh, James. But we find out he's all over the place. Peter is. And finally in Rome. So before we stand to pray, I want you to think about some of those pro prophetic verses in your life. I want you to think about how uplifting you could be. Have you ever had a phase in your faith? All of a sudden, like an accelerator. Like, like you, you'd stepped into an elevator and went, whoof! You know, you just went. That's how these things happen. Is by reviewing these passages and reviewing the, the, these prophetic words upon you that you know just the incredibleness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That you know that they're totally tied into you. That, with, that Christ in you is the most important thing you may ever, ever say. How many times does Paul say that? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. And he's talking about more than just someone who has a, it's a member of a church. He's talking about in Christ. In Christ in you, you in Christ. So as we get ready to stand and pray, let's ponder that for just a second. How in Christ are we? We're going to continue this next week also. I've got more to go on this. And next week what I'm going to do is I'm, going to, I'm letting you know ahead of time so you can bring your friends and family. We're going to have an exercise of the prophetic also, of having prophetic words spoken on, especially people who have never had a prophetic word spoken on them. To let, let the heart of God touch you in, in very profound ways. Because it'll change you. One last little word I had. I was here when Tim Beeson was here. Tim's his son, right? Brian Beeson. Okay, sorry. And I was kind of new to the church then. And I was probably had a little hangover and was probably a little bloodshot. And I was probably sitting about where Ada would be sitting. So I was somewhere, somewhere to the, in the middle there. And he's looking around. And he's, he's looking at me and goes, you are a diamond in the rough. And I'm like, yeah, right. I mean, a crusty old rock probably, but not a diamond in the rough. But you know, I found out what, really what he was talking about. The diamond is probably the hardest stone one of the hardest stones on earth. And that's what I had for a heart. And it, it needed transformed. It needed to be pulverized, destroyed, and made new. I no longer am a diamond. I've got flesh in my heart. I no longer have the hardest stone coldness that I used to have. My wife used to say, oh, you're the coldest man I ever met. And I was, because I didn't have a heart for anything. I had, I had an impenetrable stone heart. He was right. It's still got some, it's still got some little chunks here and chunks there. It's not perfect yet, but it's working. So I just want to thank God for prophetic words. So let's stand. Father, we're... We're going to dare to step into everything that you've written about us. We're going to dare to receive your callings and destinations and destinies. And we're going to have an acceptance with a great expectation.
Lord, we just thank you that your compassion for each and every one of us is so profound. You can't stop thinking about us. As we drift off to sleep, you move, especially if we've invited you. Sometimes we're kind of like daydreaming, and all of a sudden you step in. Lord, give us discernment and give us wisdom. But we're just going to ask that you just give us love and just be you. Because what we've read about you, that's pretty pretty big stuff. We're fundamentally changed. We're fundamentally changed by the power of your word. We're fundamentally changed by the life of Jesus Christ. And we will continue to be changed. And we invite that change. We glorify you, Lord. All I want is to glorify you and do good for others. That's all I want, Lord. And show me. We give our heart, Lord. It's just like that song. We give our heart, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to give your heart back. And then make it so we know that we know that we know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, oh, I forgot to do a song, didn't I? I'm sorry. Um, Before we go, if you have a prophetic word for someone, please, and you went, oh, I did it with nothing. It was just kind of something. Please rush to that person right now and and let them know. We don't have to wait until next week. If you have a prayer to give to someone, or you just feel like I need to pray for someone, that's similar to prophecy. Go to that person and lift them up. Anyone that would like prayer, I'm going to ask you to come up today. Anyone that's feeling like, you know, my faith has kind of been the same for a while. And you'd like a prayer for an uplifting, a prayer that the Lord will speak to you. Come on up, let's pray about it. Because that really, that's, that's vital. We don't have dry seasons in the, New, in the New Testament. Don't see them. That's Old Testament stuff. We're not, in visit, we're not in a season of visitation. We're in a season of indwelling of Christ. So if you feel like you've been through a dry spell, come on, we'll pray for a breakthrough. All of you that, that would like to join and pray for others, come on up also. You don't have to come up. You can find someone. But don't leave today if you, if you have a concern that needs prayed about. If you feel better having a woman pray for a woman, we've got plenty of ladies here who love to pray for you. We have prayer warriors here in our midst. So let's Please, it's only a minute or two after 12, so unless you have to run to lunch, take a couple of seconds to stay. All right, thank you very much. You're free to go. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.